listener production. This is Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about coming out told by the people who have done it. I'm your host, Sean Zepps, and because this is a podcast about coming out, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. I am a gay man. I first came out in early 2000. I was in a closet telling a friend that I was gay, which is such a good story. And I most recently came out three, two days ago in Hobart at a bar to a couple sitting across from us. They asked about our children. They were con- We said we had children. They were confused. They asked more <laughs> questions. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the family. Matthew, please introduce yourself. Tell us when you first came out and when you last came out. Hello, I am Matthew Backer. I first came out, I define coming out in terms of the people closest to me. So mm. my parents, yes. I was 30. So I was late to the party. Mm. I'm 37 now. And the last time I came out was recently I did one of those um, ask me a question on Instagram because I was in a show and someone asked, am I single? So I was like, no, I have a partner of seven years and posted some pictures of us. And it was a, a mum that watches me on Play School and she was like, oh, you're, you have a partner. Wow. <laughs> but it was, it was lovely, but okay. it was, um, I had to be like, yeah, yeah, he, I've been with him for seven years and it was a beautiful, like, I think that's fantastic. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was, it was a mum that was um, pleasantly surprised, I hope. Matthew Backer is an actor and a presenter. He recently starred in the Sydney Theatre Company play Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Or, if you have children, you might recognize his face from sitting alongside Big Ted and Jemima on Play School. Here's Matthew. I was born in Brisbane, Queensland in 1985. And were you performing always? Is this something that started when you were really young, kind of getting into singing or acting or dancing? Oh, I've always been theatrical. Mum says I came cartwheeling out of her. <laughs> I don't know if she put it <laughs> like that. pointed, song yeah. singing. Either had a notebook in one hand or a microphone in the other. I was just always theatrical. Um, and then that, I found that in high school when I, we had like an amazing performing arts complex built. And so that was where I did the school musicals and plays, which was w- really where I found my sort of realm yep. away from the horrors of high school. That was where I went, okay, this is where I can be other people and be myself a bit more by not being myself. Mm. Um, and that sort of opened that door to performing. And it just, yeah, it was like a bug. I be- became a journalist after high school and that's a whole other story and then quit that to become an actor. But yeah, I've always been theatrical. Amazing. You said something very interesting. I was also a performer my whole life, so the sentence makes sense. Like a place where you can be yourself while not being yourself. Totally. For someone who lives maybe outside of the performing space, who's just jumping into this conversation today, they look on television or media or even stage productions and they see a diverse representation sometimes Mm. of different levels of masculinity and femininity presented by men, right? But at that time, growing up, performing, as you're starting to realize you're different, Mm. is theater a safe space at the time to express yourself? Or is it this weird catch-22 of I can be myself, but I need to be masculine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think especially I was, you know, I went to an all-boys Catholic private okay. high school in Ooh. Brisbane in the 90s, enough said. Yeah, well, do I mean, we don't even need to unpack that. That's the sentence. Mm. So the shows we were doing were like Gilbert and Sullivan and old-school musical theatre. And yes, it was very very traditional representations of men and women on stage. And I was this little, you know, high schooler who didn't know who he was. So, of course, you were trying to fit a mold of a man or what you thought a man had to be, especially in Queensland in the 90s, which I think has really bled into my life in the Mm. industry. Even now, I can feel myself maybe walk into an audition room or get a role where I feel like I have to put something on. And it's been years of trying to cut those strings because I learnt very late to my detriment that myself as Matthew Back with my idiosyncrasies and my personality and who I am is more interesting than anything I've tried to put on top in terms of what it, what I should be as a man. Yeah. And when I started to do that, that was when I started to enjoy acting and get more work. You're more interesting. Absolutely. But really hard to unpick, I would Uh. imagine. (laughs) I mean, 
I'm projecting here aggressively, and I'm also stealing a quote from some famous celebrity who said, as a queer person, our job is to kind of unpick the reality of who we are as an adult. That was How me, mu- I said that. Oh, it was you. Yeah, you were yeah. the famous person. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's, it's, I'm still doing it. Mm. I can feel strings that are still pulling sometimes with certain roles or even just you know, being out in public. I think every queer person feels that no matter how far they've come or how fabulous they may feel in a given moment, there's always those little strings that pull and say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, don't act like that. Don't wear that. Don't hold their hand right now. It's a constant thing. It's just a matter of making sure you've got those trusty little scissors on you to... And a lot of the productions that high schools in the 90s or even early 2000s were even allowed to perform were not really allowing for diversity when it comes to masculinity and femininity, right? High school productions weren't doing Rent or Wicked and they weren't performing. I'm trying to think of other examples, but Hair, where there might be a role for a man to be a little more feminine. So a lot of the productions, if you were in Anything Goes, well, you were either going to be incredibly masculine or slightly masculine and there wasn't room for you to explore who you might actually want to be as an adult. Absolutely not. And at an all-boys Catholic school, like you were actively told not to explore. Mm. Any type of exploring in terms of that alleyway um, was just considered sinful and you were going to hell. And like, so the shows they were putting on were, you know, so dated. And you were existing in this realm of men are this, women are this, and there is nothing in between. Sure. Don't even think about it. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, damage had been done, put it that way. (laughs) And it's kind of a gross catch-22 because at that time, I mean, I was going to New York for a long time watching Broadway productions while knowing that that was the future I wanted. And when I was going to the city and looking at every person in the cast, like every single person, whether they are completely in the background as a dancer or the or the lead, it wasn't like there was even opportunities to play kind of camp people. It was like one out of every, you know, 100 roles. And so if you're going to school or learning to act, you're realizing that that's what it's going to take. Like yeah. you, you definitely can't see yourself up there. So being yourself is not going to get you that job. No. And if that's what it's going to take, it's like, of course you'd want your child to be themselves, but also do you want them to work? Yeah. And that's well, gross. Fast forward, you know, more than a decade later when I finally got into acting and went to NIDA and I was basically told by the school, if you're gay, forget it. And this is 2008 to 2010. There were no Australian gay, queer role models that I could see kicking goals. Yeah. And so I had no one to look to. Yes, there were wonderful theatre um, actors that I looked up to and stuff, but there was no one in the media, no one that I could look at and be like, oh, Murray Bartlett. Mm. He's who I want to be. Or even even overseas, like Jonathan Groff, Jonathan Bailey, Andrew Scott, like there was no one. And yeah. so it was like high school and then NIDA made me go, oh, well, I just can't be gay. I have to be, you know, the type of man that the industry thinks I need to be to get work because I wanted to work so badly. Yeah. And I put myself in this box of constriction and suffocation and it just, yeah, got too much. Can we talk about specifics? Is it... Lowering your voice? Is it the way your body looks? Is it your hair? Everything. Everything. Uh, The way you dress, yeah, making sure your voice is on a lower register, getting rid of that sibilant S sometimes when you're Mm. tired and um, not being so expressive, not being your gestures, making sure they're contained or masculine in a way. It's so detrimental to acting because so much of acting is about being free and trusting your gut and your impulse in the moment Mm. and that spontaneity of emotion. And when you're putting character on top, plus this outward thing being like, oh, make sure you're straight, make sure you're masculine. It's just the worst. I had a wonderful casting director pull me aside, you know, a few years after NIDA when I was in the struggle of having, you know, maybe some little panic attacks going, I'm so tired, I'm so tired of like pretending to be straight. Yeah. And um, she just sort of was like, what's what's going on with you? You seem, you don't seem as free as you were at NIDA. You seem constricted and you're not making interesting choices in the room and it's all very bland. And it was kind of shocking, but she did me such a service. It was It was her basically saying, let go, like yeah. free yourself because you'll be doing more interesting work. And I have. Yeah. The second I 
came out, for lack of a better word, I, of course, was doing more interesting work. I went to characters that I would have run from, those mm. gay characters that I would have gone, no, 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 I don't want to audition for that. Now it's like, well, I'll play them with abandon. <laughs> like, send me them all. Wow. It makes so much sense because anyone even outside of the acting world who's never gone to an audition or trained at all understands in theory that the best performers bring themselves in some way, shape, or form to the role. If you're trying to suppress yourself entirely, any lick of authenticity or, or past experience or relationships or love or heartbreak, and you can't bring any of that to the role, mm. of course, it's like looking at a bland ghost in yeah. the room who's who's acting terribly. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think it's acting for me has been a type of therapy mm. in a way. You know, maybe I should still go to therapy. I think there's still a lot there to unpack. But acting for me has been so therapeutic because it's been years of unpicking all that stuff and allowing myself to feel as the queer gay man that I am that for many years I was terrified to feel that way. I I couldn't even say out loud to myself, let alone my family and friends who are all so supportive. I never once questioned their love or support. I'm really lucky in that way. But I couldn't even say it to myself, let yeah. alone to them. Mm. So I was terrified of feeling as a gay man. And I think that has damaged, in a way, myself years down the track in terms of how I approach you know, some relationships, my relationship, relationships with friends, relationship with who I look at in the mirror. Sure. But I'm in a really good spot now, but it's been a long process of unpicking. Mm. For most people, the coming out journey begins with themselves and that internal battle. The coming out experience of telling your family is a second or a minute, but it can take a year, five years, 10 years, however long it might possibly take. So let's unpack that. You Mm. say 30 years old. I'm imagining you realized that you were different a little earlier than that. Tell us when that first happened. What was that moment? How old were you and what was it like for you? Yeah, I was thinking about this coming here. I I can't remember a definitive moment where I went, oh yeah, I'm gay. But I think it was would have been early high school, your early teens, mm-hmm. when that is the time when you're questioning who you are, what you like, what you want in the world, what you don't like. And for me, that was layered with such a level of um, you don't want to be that because we were being bullied ruthlessly at this school for being effeminate, for being theatrical, for being sort of the outcasts. And so I had no concept really of what gay was, but all I knew was that it was bad. Yeah, It was sinful, it was wrong, it was gross. They're teasing us for being gay, but I don't even know if I am. So it was this whole complex notion of, well, if I am gay, are they bullying or are they just being correct? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Which is really heavy to unpack. Mm. And so it was many years of going, okay, well, I just won't be that. Because whatever that is, even if I'm attracted to, you know, Jason Priestley or someone in TV hits, that I go, why do I feel that way about them? It was just, yeah, ignore it. Ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, because they're just correct then. This is really powerful. We've never (laughs) spoken about on the show. We're four seasons in. But this concept of being called something that you know isn't good long before you know for sure that you're the thing, and now you know, no matter what happens, you don't want to be the thing. No. Because why would you want to be something that is so reviled? Mm. Not only by your fellow students, but I definitely felt at that school by the teachers, by the priests, by the rector. Like it was, it was a sense of, well, if they're being bullied for this, maybe there's a reason for it. Instead mm. of if they're being bullied for this, mm. what do we need to do to make sure that bullying stops with this you know, collection of students? which therefore is another level of silence and another level of just don't talk about it, just don't bring it up because Mm. no one's going to help you. Yes, my parents were concerned. Yes, my friends who were going through it, we were concerned. But it just became this like, you know, tape after tape of silencing where you just went, okay, well, I'll just deal with it on my own. Were you raised religious or did you just go to a religious school? Uh, I think we just went to a religious school just because it was a really good school and my parents obviously wanted the best for us. We weren't necessarily religious as a family. My grandparents were. We would go to church with them when we visited, but um, by no means were my parents, you know, hugely religious. 
And that tends to be a story you do hear in Australia a lot. It's not the case in America, so it's like a, a harder thing for me to grapple with mm. that some of the best schools in so many parts of this country are Catholic. They have better yeah. resources. They're larger. They have better sports programs or even uh, performing arts programs. And so as a parent, you're stuck in that weird space of, well, personally, I don't agree with all of this ideology mm. or an indoctrination of young children's beliefs, but at the same time, how much at school are they really going to hear about this? There's so much else built into the beautiful education. Help me understand how often it would ever even be brought up, the Bible, or that it was a sin specifically to be queer. At school. Yeah, does that happen throughout the day or week or month? Yeah. I mean, we had mass every week. Okay. Um, We would say prayers at assembly. We would have to say a prayer every morning before we started. So it was just a constant thing in this school that there was this omnipresent being. Yeah watching over you, watching every single thing you did. Did you believe it? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, of course I did. I mean, I do remember grade nine or 10 starting to unravel that going like, this is all bullshit. Mm. <laughs> I can remember I had my a priest who was our religious teacher in grade nine or something. We were talking about souls and um, someone said, well, what about pets? You know, when a pet dies, do they go to like heaven? Because pets have a soul yeah. and... Without missing a beat, he was like, don't be ridiculous. Pets don't have souls. Only humans do. Um, pets don't go to heaven, blah, blah, blah. I can remember one student got te- teary. Of and course. I was just sitting there going like, how do you know? Yeah, how do you know that? Picking or choosing <laughs> you said here. that with so- such certainty. And mm. I remember just starting to unravel it going, this is all a crock. Like, so I just, I just slowly ended up not believing it. Because mm. why would I want to also be part of any religion that deems me as being wrong yeah. and sinful. I'm fabulous. <laughs> Amen. It's when you start to pick or unravel one small slice of it, it's when it starts to kind of roll and you start to oh my, The whole card everything. again starts yeah. To, yeah. Which is why I think they have no choice as a larger institution, but to really double down in a lot of the belief systems that they have. The yeah. moment they start to say, sure, gays can get married, well, then it's like, okay, well, what else can we do and what else is not true and what else is something we can bend? And once yeah. you do that, you probably have a lot of people either leaving the faith or joining for completely wrong reasons. And I also think that religion as a whole, this is sort of me generalizing, and I know people get a lot of um, beautiful things from religion and um, beautiful faith and community, and my grandma is a beautiful representation of that. She just Her community has helped her during such hard times, and mm. I can totally see that for me what I got from religion is that it was a whole sense of like, well, it's your problem because up here is God and here is the religious community that runs everything. And whatever you're dealing with is your problem. Don't come to us because it's sinful and we don't want to talk about it. Mm. You have to deal with that with your God. And so when we did go to our parents, me and my best friend, Kaz, if he's listening, hello, I love you, um, to say, you know, this is happening at school and I think they were worried. And we, every time we went to the school, it was very much a case of, all right, we kind of believe you, but our boys would not bully like that. Mm. So whatever bullying they're getting is your problem that you're going to have to deal with. And so it was very much a sense of like, no, nope, silence, don't come to us. We don't want to worry about it. Wow. Painting a picture of where we are so far. So starting to realize you're different. You're mm-hmm. in a school environment, six and a half hours a day, sometimes longer mm-hmm. based off extracurriculars where it's quite clear to you that who you are, if you are that thing is bad. Then you have students around you picking on you just for being different. They're calling you gay, but what they actually mean is just you're not super masculine. Like they're yeah. just finding one aspect of the way that you present and then making a massive leap to your sexual orientation. Yeah. And then you also have this passion for this craft. Mm. And then even the craft is turning against you a little bit because it's like, hey, please, can you be mask? Between all of those terrible points until 30, (laughs) what happens? What gets you to a place where you feel confident enough that you want to start to tell people your truth? Um, Probably the sense of just not being able to talk. I didn't have the words to say it like I was saying to myself. Then my best friend and I were going through the same thing, but not even we could talk. There was an unspoken sort of acknowledgement that we both were, but I have a lot of regret that we couldn't just be like mm. on the weekends. Yeah. Be like, oh my God, we're gay, right? Yeah, yeah. And we were so gay. <laughs> like <laughs> obsessed with, you know, all the starlets of the time and pop music and like all those cliches, but we were that. 
And so we sort of, you know, in our 20s, not drifted, we were always very close, but he went off to Canada and I went to NIDA and we sort of lived our own lives. And then we sort of came back to each other when we were about 24, 25 and we're like, we're gay, right? And that was when we both went, oh, what, what were we doing? Like, yeah. why were we so silent? We know why we were. And then I think trying just desperately not to be gay in an industry that does not champion gay men, does not champion queer people, I think. It's slowly changing, but the industry was, there is no work for you if you're gay. So compounding that. And then about 28, 29, I was just so tired, like so tired, falling for boys within the industry and wanting to sort of be with them, but not letting myself and slowly going on dates, but then feeling really icky, mm. <laughs> like the whole, you know, religious upbringing. And then I just got really tired. And then I met um, Stephen Madsen, my partner, and he just sort of changed the game and I felt really comfortable and we were a thing. And that's when I went home to my parents and I had a very stubborn part of myself that refused to go home and be like, I'm gay because my brother didn't have to, my sister didn't have to, my cousins didn't have to. Yeah. And so it's sort of just, I got to that point where I just was like, oh, I'm seeing someone and his name is Stephen. And it was, um, it was fine. It was totally beautiful and lovely. And my dad just had, didn't have, possibly didn't have the words, but just stood up and gave me a hug. Great. Mum had a big smile on her face and just was like, oh yeah, oh, sort of like, that's good, we knew, like sort of thing. And just ask the questions any parent would ask. Where did you meet? Are you happy? And it was just absolutely perfect. Something I'd not been scared of, but like, you know, I should have talked to them earlier, but mm. it was my own doing. I sure. was in my own little um, prison or um, closet of panic about it myself. I knew they would support me. So it wasn't anything they had or hadn't done. It was just... I took a longer road to get there. I mean, it is really difficult to unpick internalized homophobia, especially yeah. at the hands of religious institutions yeah. because acknowledging it to yourself or coming out to others is also a challenge of their faith and their understanding of what it means to be human. And then for you, if I say the words, what am I losing? Mm. Am I losing the potential of this future or any of these relationships? And you might know in theory the relationships will be strong, but religion has a hold in ways you don't understand and people you don't understand. Yeah. And so it's totally, un I understand it. I can like feel it within my bones mm -hmm. that when you're, when you are raised in that world and you believe every aspect of it, heaven and hell and sin and truth and mm. what it means to be a good person versus a bad person, the idea of becoming a sinner, all of that, falls to the floor. Mm. And so mm. it's like, yeah, you could say it. And yeah, you might believe they're going to be there. But who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah, which for me was very institutionalized. It was the school. I didn't have any of that in my home life. My mm. home life was bloody wonderful. And I never for a second doubted that they wouldn't support and love me, which is probably why I took so as long as I did, because I knew it was there. And mm. I just sort of had to find my own way through past school, past NIDA, being an actor in an industry that I don't think is very supportive of gay men. And so I just sort of took my own time. That's what I sort of said to my parents. It was like, it's nothing you've yeah. done. It's, yeah. You should have no guilt or concern because it, it, I had to get there in my own time. And I did. Yeah. Are there regrets? Sure. Yeah. I sort of regret that my teens and my 20s weren't as open and free as I wanted them to be. But, you know, that's what your 30s are for, for exactly. some gay men and queer people. It's like we live the times we need to live in sort of retrospect mm. and you uh, uh, you acknowledge how fantastic it is to be here every day. Yeah. You bring up something powerful. It's maybe the third or fourth time it's been brought up in the show, but a lot of people who listen are parents, so I think it's really important to double down on it. Just because you love your children and just because you're accepting and just because you show them that they can be whoever they want to be does not mean that the child is free of having a challenging mm. life that's filled with suppression. Yeah. And that's tricky for a lot of parents. Yeah, like, well, true. wait a second. My mom was the same. Mm. She would tell me all the time, God loves you exactly as you are, no matter what people say, no matter what the church says, it doesn't matter. You hear the words coming from their mouth and you know that that is true. But the other rude reality is you don't always believe what your parents say. You know they have to love you and say the right things. It's the kids at school, your contemporaries, the kids your age, mm. you're the one being bullied, not them. Like, mm. yes, you can run home to the safe environment, but I often say to parents, 
yes, you can send your children to religious institutions and you can have all of your reasons for it, but you have to be conscious of the fact of what it could do to them. Just be conscious of it so you can totally. talk to them about it. Yeah. Because your example, I guess, is the right one. It's not the parents. They're not the problem. It's no. the larger institution and you're there every single day. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's life in general, a heteronormative society. Mm. Like, I still feel it. I'm nearly 40, but I still feel it out there. And it's just like, you're constantly sort of just you know, beating them off like Wonder Woman. Yeah, sort exactly. Of bounce, bounce, bounce. But um, yeah, no, I think the this it was definitely the institution that led me to believe that something was wrong. Um, but that being said, I don't, I really don't regret my parents sending me there because I found acting. Yeah, I found the bestest friends I'll ever have in my life. Mm. We're still so close. Um, Great. And so it's I got so much more from that school than the the trauma of it. For years, it was only that that I took from it. I hated my bullies. I hated the teachers that didn't help us, which was so unhealthy. And that, you know, we joked about that hate, my best friend and I, like, oh, we hate them. Oh, we wish they would blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And now looking back as a 37-year-old, I go, God, those boys were constricted as well. Oh, totally. They were suffocating. They found you know, some boys who were the odd ones out and they could throw all their energy into making them feel bad to make themselves feel better. And it took many years to actually go, God, I really forgive them. <laughs> and feel really bad for them. Really bad for them. I mean, heterosexuals are as constricted by heteronormative society as queer people sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. To the point of when they finally come out and peek their head out over the, the wall, what freedom for them as well. To accept mm. everyone and accept themselves, Ooh, and I've had I've had you know a number of them message me because they watch me now on play school with their kids, mm. and it'll be this random message on Facebook being like, "Hey mate, how are you going? Like, oh, so good to see you kicking goals. Yeah, sorry if I was ever you know hard to you in high school, like mean whatever." And there's a part of me that just wants to be like, yeah, tell your kid that their father was a little asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I never would because it's like water bridge under over. Like, yeah. Time makes us change and you're obviously a beautiful dad now and you would never want your kid to go through what I went through, so it's all good. No. But, um, you know, how beautiful that they reach out. Yeah. And, and they feel they can mm. nowadays. I don't think they ever would back then. No, I love it. You're so right. And it's really powerful, I think, for other parents to hear because no parent wants their children to be the bully. It's actually like the penultimate goal. <laughs> like, if that could not happen, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. And then it happens, and what you can't do as a parent is understand the script in the bully's head either. No. Our parents didn't have access to what was going on for us. In many ways, they were just like blissfully unaware mm. of the reality of our, the struggles. But when you see a bully who's who's specifically picking one person, usually a feminine male, and they're just doing whatever they can to drag them down, you can't help but wonder as, as adults looking back in retrospect and going, why is that so hard for them? What environment did they come from are also who do they wish they could be and they can't and we, we're a mirror to that and yeah. we're the ones that they have to choose to attack. Yeah, I remember there was one bully who, you know, we can all remember our bullies' names. Mm. I won't say it out loud. <laughs> but um, oh, he was cruel, absolutely cruel and he was the year below us and he was a champion swimmer at the school and my best friend was a really fantastic swimmer and he ended up quitting swimming because he had to go to these swim meets on his own. I didn't go because I was playing trumpet and in the musicals. Yeah. And I always felt so sad for him that he felt he had to quit a sport that he was really good at just because he was getting bullied at these swim meets. And this boy was so cruel and so mean and like the alpha male. And I mean, at the time he was gorgeous. So there was that conflict as well being like, I hate him, but I'm so attracted to him him." as well. (laughs) Um, And it turns out that his father was very, very, very strict on him, really to the point of, um, I think, really damaging about his swimming, who, like his school, like he was cruel in a way. So we can sort of look back and go like, well, he was just mimicking yeah. what he was learning. And he that was a release for him mm. that he needed, that swimming wasn't giving him. So he needed a second release and that was bullying my mate. Yeah, And I'm like, God, what a waste for that as well. And we've seen him years later and he's apologized and it's all fine, but... Yeah, when you start to look at their lives too, you have a lot of compassion. Sure, and it's so hard to look at it when you're in it. I know. Oh, it's hard. Another thing I wanted to unpack about your story is when you met Stephen, you were in the closet to your family, correct? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Partially. We also, this is another subject we haven't <laughs> covered on the show, so like we're doing a lot today. This mm-hmm. is the first, but I'm interested because 
For the average person, it's hard to understand what it would be like to be in a relationship with someone who can't like fully be themselves. It's not that you're in the closet. Mm. I'm sure like some of your friends knew and you could be yourself. Maybe you could go on dates with them. But I am wondering if you remember or can kind of call back to that time in your life where you're falling in love with somebody and you can't share that fully yet? Or did it happen quite quick? No, it happened quite quick. Okay, Because I never felt that I couldn't share it. I I sort of wanted to just dip my toes into dating a bit before I was like, yeah, I am. Yeah. And I'd also fallen for a boy sort of, you know, around Christmas, New Year's Eve of the year before and fell really hard. I mean, you know, I was 29 having the relationships and the crushes I should have had in my teens mm. and my 20s. So, you know, fell like a ton of bricks and that ended badly. And I was just like to my friends, well, yeah, I'm gay. Yeah. And because I'd had girlfriends and beautiful girlfriends that I had, you know, fallen in love with. And so I was also dealing with, oh, well, am I bi? Am I, how gay am I? Because mm. there is still a part of me that's attracted to women. And, and then Stephen came along because a friend wanted to set us up because we were both actors. Hi, Gab, if you're listening. And um, we followed each other on Instagram. And then he came to see one of my shows. And I just saw him in the foyer and was like, oh, my gosh. Like, wow. That and he, one. And he was 23. And I was 30 and he just was so confident and knew exactly what he wanted because he'd come out when he was like 16, 17. And I found that really whew, overwhelming because it was also constantly looking at something that I wasn't. Yeah. I missed out on all of that. And I found his confidence and his like, nope, you're the one, you're like amazing, beautiful, but also um, quite overwhelming. And then we sort of dated quite full on for like, you know, two or three weeks. And then I just was like, oh, well, we're boyfriends and I couldn't wait to get home and just tell my parents. Because oh, it was great. my first long, um, well, now long-term relationship that I'd had probably since I was studying at NIDA. But um, you no, know, it was a very quick thing. I wanted to go home and tell my parents straight away. Beautiful. Yeah. And you came out in a way that I think there's a lot of people in our community who believe coming out should end. I would argue that that's probably impossible mm. just based off of the reality of how many people exist that are queer and the way that our society works and what would have to be eliminated, homophobia, religion, all that jazz. But still, <laughs> your example of how you came out is exactly what they're hopeful for. Mm. That you didn't have to go, I'm gay, but instead you did what anyone else has to do, which is I'm with X. Yeah. And I really like that because that actually is one of the examples that proves me wrong, which is, I mean, you you came out in air quotes by mm. saying you're in a relationship, but everyone comes out as com as in a relationship. I'm dating Sally, totally. I'm dating Ben, or I'm not dating someone is also coming out as not being in a relationship. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, well, I, I also think like I'm pretty stubborn and I like to make points. And my point was like, I none of my huge extended wonderful family has ever had to say that. Mm. Say I'm straight and I'm marrying a woman. So I, I didn't feel the need that I had to come home and I really sort of made it a subconscious point in my brain maybe. I just didn't want to come home and say that because why should I have to? And I get that there's power in those words, but maybe there was a part of me that refused to say it too because I didn't want to. Sure. But looking back, I'm like, no, I just was like, I'm seeing someone and his name is this. Around the same time, my sister had started seeing someone too who is now her husband. And so it was sort of a lovely timing because my sister was seeing someone and and like that they were having the you know normal conversations you have about well where'd you meet mm -hmm. how old is he who is he gonna yeah. so we just had those conversations it wasn't anything like oh right it's a boy that's perfect yeah which I love did you feel in normal circumstances throughout history books thirty is early. Yeah. In modern day, oftentimes you're hearing more and more through social media, and, and I'm talking about kids who are coming out right now. I mean, they're coming out at you know, 12 years old. As mm. soon as they feel it, they get to speak their truth. I obviously didn't live in Sydney and wasn't uh, around any major city, but in your 20s and 30s, did you distance yourself from the queer community or did you get to be a part of it somehow, like dipping your toe? Uh, no, I think I distanced myself. Yeah, very much so coming to Sydney. I moved when I was 23 when I got into NIDA and just loved Sydney. I still love it. There are times I go, I live in Sydney and it's <laughs> so good. Um, but no, I think I distanced myself just because I wanted to be seen by my peers and the industry that I was straight. Yeah. Um, and so if we did go out within the community, I I can remember, you know, sort of trying to lose my friends on a night out so I could have a pash yeah. with someone. Yeah. 
which was exciting, but also like, you know, tiring after a while, making up those sorts of excuses. And then having sort of, you know, anonymous hookups with people. And I wonder whether I would have had those, you know, meetings and hookups if I was more comfortable in myself. And, yep. and I, there was a definite arm's length. I was intrigued by the community, but there was one arm always going like, oh, I'm just going to dip my toe in. Now in my 30s, the community is one of my most favorite cherished things on the planet. Yeah. To think of myself as a little 15-year-old that I would one day as a 37-year-old be sitting here going, being gay is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I would say that. There are times when I go out with my beautiful group of friends queer friends here in Sydney and I have to stop and go, how much fun is mm. being gay? Mm. And they're like, yes, Matt, calm down. Calm down, calm your farm. Like, no, actually <laughs> yeah, I won't. I will not calm down. The rest of you guys get to have that community yeah. everywhere you go. This is my chance. And I love, I love it. Mm. I, I love being part of it now. So I, I approach it with abandon. Yeah. Amazing. I want to kind of end this conversation in your present life, mm -hmm. specifically your career. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, I, want to start with a very simple question, which is um, you work a lot on TV and on stage. And I want to know today, can you still be gay and get work? Well, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you be yourself, an authentic representation of yourself and get as much work as you'd like? Like I said, I think I've gotten more work since I've accepted myself. Mm. I think I'm doing better acting. I'm doing freer acting. Great. I'm doing acting that's more connected to a truth that probably wasn't there before. So I'm making more interesting choices. Um, I've been one of the lucky ones to work consistently in a variety of mediums, which is fantastic. That being said, I do think that film and TV is still very, very hard. I think there are um, a bunch of gatekeepers that decide what type of actor you are yeah. and hold you there, whether that's a musical theatre actor, whether mm. that's someone that does too much theatre, whether that's a gay performer. They put you in a box and subconsciously when they get a brief through, they go, oh, no, 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 gay, gay, no, he, he's good, straight, straight, no, no. And it's just so damaging mm. to variety within the industry. Um, so I do feel film and TV is hard. I, uh, there are casting directors who only send me briefs for gay characters. Yeah. And so I, of course I go for them because, you know, there's not enough work in Australia to begin with. Exactly. But I'll be like, well, I'm going to play that gay character the best because mm. I understand it. But then these characters will end up being cast with a straight actor. And so you're constantly going, well, hang on, that means that casting director was seeing gay people and straight people for that role. But then there are straight characters that are only being open to straight actors. Yeah. So the straight actors are going for double the amounts of characters that the gay actors are. And the casting directors will sort of be like, well, we can't technically ask. And I think that's a that's sort of a cop-out. Mm. They're not doing their job if they don't know who the openly gay actors are in Australia. It's not that hard. No. And often gay actors will be happy to tell you. Mm. I know they can't ask, but like they, they know different minorities, they know different cultural backgrounds, they need to know who are the queer performers in their industry, otherwise they're not doing their job. Is it problematic to have straight people playing queer roles today? I am definitely not in the camp that only straight should play straight and only gay should play gay. That's, I think that's too constricting, but we're currently in a climate where there is not enough representation. The seesaw is too lopsided. Mm. So therefore, efforts have to be made to bring that on a more even playing field. Then we can go to town because sexuality and gender in my books are fluid. Yeah. Like I don't think you should be defined by one sexuality for your whole character playing career. That being said, when the last eight to nine gay roles I've auditioned for have gone to straight actors, there's a problem. Yeah, That's, that's receipts. I've got them in an Excel spreadsheet at home. I'm keeping track and it's it's there's a legitimate problem there that the industry is not acknowledging because I do feel that gay men sort of exist in a little blind spot. Mm. I feel like if it was any other minority, people would be, I don't know, a bit more um, vocal about it. But there's something about the industry goes, oh, you're fine. You're, you're just a gay man. Yeah. You're fine. It's sort of like, well, no, we still have to see ourselves too. And at the moment, I'm seeing a ton of straight actors play gay characters. So it's continually telling me that, oh, there's not really a spot for you in the industry. Exactly. 
what is the world that queer actors would want then? Because the way that you just painted it, when it from like a lopsided perspective, being even, mm. if we knew that we were getting seen for all the roles, mm. if we had access to that information and it was clear mm. that gay men were being welcomed to all auditions just like straight people were, and we were still not getting them, would it be better than what it is today because at least we had opportunities? Or is it much deeper than that? And people who are holding auditions having to be more upfront about the casting choices they make. Oh, I, yeah, I definitely think the latter. Okay. I think there's a subconscious um, choice not getting in the people that they should be getting in, whether it's they're of an older generation that they go, well, gay people can't be, don't read as straight yeah, on yeah, screen. Yeah. Yep. But that is changing. I mean, that's the way we see straight men now and gay men now is, you know, it's interconnecting and that's all, it's so different 100%. to what they're, their ideas of the Aussie bloke, that, yeah. you know, the Russell Crowe's and the Chris Hemsworth's that make it. For me, knowing that it's changing would be able to list five Australian gay actors who are smashing it and at a level of fame and um, uh, movie, television, career choices that are, you know, jealousy-inducing incredible. I We're not there. We're not there. I mean, you can look overseas and in America there are wonderful gay actors and that are kicking goals. In Australia, name me five. I, I challenge anyone listening at home to name me five Australian gay actors. And I sort of do focus more on gay men because yep. that's obviously myself. I, I can't really speak for other people in our community. But in terms of gay male actors, I name me five. I couldn't do it. That are winning awards, that are yeah. able to bankroll films, yeah. that are able to um, draw in an audience like... It's hard. Yeah. And I'll know that changes when I can list five. That is the <laughs> that is the perfect barometer. I've been asking myself the question. It's obviously a very heated topic in our community, especially mm. within the entertainment community. Mm. I mean, I was just saying to our mutual friend Sandy on the right here. Sandy. Sandy. <laughs> if another week goes by where I have to see another minority posting about the fact that there's an all-white cast or a cast with no queer people in it or no body diversity. It's mm. like getting very boring. But I keep asking myself, well, what... Sure, we can say, hey, guys, we got all the right people in, but we still picked the best people for the roles and mm. it wasn't you. But that isn't a barometer that I feel comfortable putting my finger on because then people can lie. Mm. But what you've just said is something I can grapple. How many body diversity Australians do you know working? How many queer people do you know that are working? And how many minority people can you name them? The mm -hmm. average person. Or even someone not so average like me who does understand the entertainment industry. Because I still can't answer your question. And I yeah. am in the industry. Yeah, are you sitting there thinking? I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, okay, I know one trans. I know one. Are they gay? Maybe. I mean, they're kind of. Is that a... And that's not the right... I no. could do it for the States, though. But the joy is, it is happening. It's slowly happening. Good. And to be 37 and to see people kicking goals. Like, I, I can see them because I'm in the industry and I, I, I seek them out, that's where I'm going. It's happening, yep. but it's just happening way too slowly. Mm. Yeah. So I'm a parent. I have two children. <laughs> every single morning I turn on the television and I, not every single morning, but I see your face a lot in my home. Um, so if you're another parent, we have a lot of parent listeners, then go and look at Matthew's face and you'll go, ah, that's who he is. Not just on Play School, but on the ABC <laughs> a lot and a bunch of different shows. A specific question that I have often wondered as a gay person, growing up in the world of theater, I did children's theater for a couple of years, toured, and I specifically remember the negative narrative around indoctrination. If a queer person is performing in front of children, mm. the little kids, they might turn gay, right? Yeah. That was very much a story arc. I would not say a recent one, but you know, when you and I were growing up in the world of acting, maybe that's an additional layer upon why they didn't want to cast obviously feminine men. Mm -hmm. And I am interested in the process for you. Auditioning to be part of such an iconic show that mm. every Australian knows, that grew up watching, they know the faces of, the names of, but not outwardly, openly gay people. I yeah. mean, I'm new to this country, but I watch the show and there's no one that I know to be gay, at least out and proud in the world and doing other work and talking about being gay and having a social profile where they have, can share their partner. Was that something that popped in your head during the audition process? Was that something that made you nervous? Um, no, never. Great. <laughs> That's a great answer. Because to, to, I know what you're saying, but to that I go, well, I grew up 
with purely straight performers. And I certainly didn't turn out Good straight. Answer. <laughs> so to anyone bringing that up, it's just like, no, no, sorry, that, that's that's not even a val- like a valuable um, yeah. theory to have. It just doesn't even make sense. Um, and no, if anything, the joy of being on Play School and the ABC is they have never, ever, ever tried to dampen my spirit yeah. or my vibe. Or yeah. if anything, they have said more, like mm. be give us more, Matt. Yep, go to town, be as silly as you want, be as camp as you want with some characters. I've never, ever been told to um, pull it back. Sure. Which is fantastic. And I mean, you have to just look at Play School. I mean, it's very open in terms of diversity and Absolutely. the people we have on in the stories. But then I have fellow presenters like Zinzi Akenyo and she's repping, you know, the queer community as well. Yeah. And um, I, I'm very proud to be part of a show that is so beautifully open in terms of visibility. Yeah. I mean, obviously my children who are the target demo who have been watching it since they could watch things and are now five, I mean, they don't watch anything Mm. and go and think sexuality. They don't watch anything and think femme, mask. It's just not a part of their, they've never once watched play school and addressed anything other than whatever the theme is or the song that they're singing or the craft that's being made. But I guess why I even asked you is I've been on the ABC before and I've never gotten... Most of the negative hate I've gotten in my career has stemmed from being on the ABC in some way, shape, or form. But I've never been on Play School. And so I'm just interested in... You've had one... You just told one nice story, which is this mother, you know, I didn't know you were gay. That's great. But I'm also (laughs) wondering when people find out, are there ever any like negative repercussions as far as trolling is concerned? No, I've never experienced it. Oh, this is so fucking great to hear. Isn't that? I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I've never I'm thought thrilled. about it, but I've never um, experienced it. I mean, I'm pretty. I think I'm. I like to think I'm pretty open on my Instagram. Yeah. And I'm, you know, with a man and very much um, have some camp sensibilities about myself. But um, no, I never have. Not to say that I'm not aware of some, maybe mm. whether letters have been written in. But um, no, I like to think that. When it comes to play school, as long as the presenter is wonderfully silly, that the kid is just like, Matt's my favorite. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of all they care about. That being said, play school's not really, I mean, when it's not a show the way it's going to push to the forefront mm. anything too LGBT or too political, or because it's a kid's education show, we're focused yeah. on a different thing. But I mean, I take a special thrill in the segments where we're making a family out of cardboard rollers and there may just happen to be yeah. two dads and a kid yeah. and it flies by. It's yeah. a yeah. blink yeah. and you'll miss it. But there is a part of me that goes, huh, I'm here doing that. I'm getting to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that feels like the, a barometer for success as well. Totally. I keep asking myself a similar question. Which well, is when like, we were young, we never would have had those two little cardboard roll people. No. And the fact that now it's just a blink and you miss it thing. Yeah. I take a lot of pride in it, but it's like how wonderful. That, Absolutely. You know, kids are just going like, oh yeah, that's like my dad's. Amazing. And I would say ar- arguably in that in the parenting space, in kids' television, it's happening more and more and more and more every single year. I think Peppa Pig just announced two weeks yeah. ago that they have a lesbian couple. Sure, it gets fanfare from the religious right mm. as that being problematic. But the fact that an episode like that could pass me by as a gay person, and I don't even think it to be exciting. It yeah. just is. The fact that I, as a gay parent, I'm like, eh, is per- that's a great yeah. barometer. If I don't feel that way, then the average person probably doesn't feel Actually, that yeah, way. Actually, I've never thought of that, of course. The minute these announcements become, eh, that isn't, that's the most joyous moment. Yeah. Because we don't we don't want to be in the world anymore where we're like, yeah, exactly. Peppa Pig is exactly. lesbian, polar bears. Yeah. Like, now we go, yeah, that's another day, another sleigh. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> you mean an accurate representation of the reality of the yeah, world we live in? Perfect. <laughs> when you look back at your life and you think about your childhood and kind of um, the parts where you were figuring yourself out, you're in the closet, going to an all-boys school, religious school, um, a performer. Have you spent time thinking about maybe what you wish you knew back then or what you would say to someone just mm-hmm. like you. They are listening. They are there. They are at the same school and the same programs and they're struggling. Mm. What do you wish you could say to them? For me, I would just say talk. That was the biggest thing. I just couldn't talk. I couldn't mm. find the words to talk to myself, talk to my best friend, talk to my parents. Talk, um, And talking can be awkward. 
And we often don't have the right way to start that conversation or the words to do it. And sometimes those conversations are really fumbly. And But the joy of a conversation is it finds its way there in the end. Mm. Because a conversation is a journey. It's not something that you have to perfect. And I think in our heart of hearts and in our guts, we know who we can talk to. It might not be the majority of your teachers. It might not be the majority of your peers and your students. But I think we know in our gut the people that we can go, hey, I'm just sort of feeling like I might be this or I might feel Mm. this way. And whether that person has all the answers or not, they're listening. So it was just for me to talk. Mm. And then I sort of just have to look at, you know, the kids these days and they have just so much more media to soak in. Like if you're listening to this, you're already ahead. And shows and representation and books to um, seek out, find them. The internet has been revolutionary in terms of communities coming together. Um, It took a long time for me to find any type of community just because we didn't, you know, the internet came in when I was like grade eight or nine. We were doing HTML coding. We weren't on message boards being like, hey, have you watched the new Drag Race? Yeah, exactly. So like seek things out, find them and you'll be fine. And that I think it was the um, it was like a program or a cause being like it gets better, yep. you know that room. Yep. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah, that's that's a fun corny like. Bro. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, it really it does. does. It gets so much better. Like it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a blast. I love being gay. I love being queer. I love being here. So just like be here, you will get through it, and it gets better. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Thank you. If My people pleasure. want to find you on the internet, speaking of the internet, <laughs> where, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram at Matthew Backer. Um, yeah, that's my main form of this is me. So uh, seek me out. Please message as well. I love getting messages from people um, saying they're watching stuff or, you know, feeling like they and someone that they can talk to because um, I like being what maybe I didn't have. Fantastic. Honestly, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. being you, for doing what you do, for sh- being on television and in shows um, and coming and thanks here thanks for today. watching me on TV with your kids. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your week. You too. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus18youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Zaharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Marsh. See you soon.